When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast that champions the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and this week we're ending our International Women's Month feature with a chat with award-winning chef Lorna McNee. She's best known for winning the Great British Menu, working with Andrew Fairley and getting a Michelin star at Kale Brewer in Glasgow, her first head chef role since leaving Glen Eagles. She's had an amazing career so far, so I was keen to find out more about her journey and what's in store for the future. So if you could just take us um, right to the start of your career, because um, I know that we've got quite a lot to kind of chat about of all the all the things that have happened recently. But um, if you could take us back to the beginning, how did you get into the hospitality industry? Um, I kind of fell into it, to be honest. Um, I was at school and I was working as a kitchen porter in a small Italian-run family restaurant. Um, I was trying to get into photography school. Um, and I didn't get into photography school and the head chef that was at the Italian restaurant at the time kept saying to me, you know, I see you watching me. I can tell you're interested. Why don't you cook? And I kept saying, no, I don't want to cook. I'm not interested. It's not what I want to do. And he kept persisting and persisting. And then when I'd applied for photography school, I didn't get in. I was like, well, what else am I going to do? I'm not, I'm not the most academic. So I was like, okay, fine. I may as well just go and cook because I don't know what else I'm going to do. And my head chef seems to think that I'm interested. So I went to college. I started doing that. and just so happens that I was quite good at it and I fell in love with it. Um, my, I got a lot of support and a lot of encouragement off of lecturers, which I'd never had when I was at school. Um, and people kind of tell me I was actually good at something for once made me want to be better at it and to try harder. So that just kind of continued from there. And then when I was finishing up my time at college, they had suggested I'd go and stash somewhere, which is just like work experience. So I went down to Gordon Ramsay's for two weeks at Claridge's in London and done two weeks there. Um, was offered a job at the end of that, but I had thought, I'm not too sure if London's the right move for me because I always kind of wanted to stay in Scotland. And so after I spent my two weeks there, I'd learned a lot, seen a lot, went back to college, had told them my thoughts and they said, okay, I had a, a great lecture and she said to me, why don't we go and eat at Andrew Fairley's? It's a two Michelin star and you can see what you think of that. So that's what we did. We went to, went to Andrew Fairley's, we ate, dinner and it was probably the best meal I've ever had in my life like that's like my one my main food memory was kind of eating eating dinner there it was the first time I tasted food and thought oh my god this is how good food can actually taste and from there I wrote an email asking them if I could go for their first stage so I went there for four days and all the chefs in there were saying to me oh we're looking for chefs you should ask Andrew for a job so whilst he was eating his staff tea, I tapped him on the shoulder and said, any chance of a job? And he said to me, well, you know, 
if you come back and speak to me again at some other point, we can have a conversation um, regarding it because, you know, are you sure you want to do this? It's it's very hard. It demands a lot from you. A lot of bigger, stronger people than you come in with more experience and they've not managed to do it. And I was like, no, no, I really want to do it. So he said, go away and think about it for a week and then come back. So I went back in a week later, dressed in kind of interview attire and, you know, just said, oh, I do want to do this. And it I did, he gave me a job. He said, okay, we'll start as an apprentice because you've not got a lot of experience at this level. Started as an apprentice. I made lots of mistakes. I ruined lots of things and then just learned from there, basically, um, as a as a young chef. I think it was 20 or 21, 21. And um, kind of worked my way up the ranks there. Went from apprentice to commie chef, chef to party, to junior sous, to sous chef. Just kind of worked my way up. And then along with my time at... Andrew Fairley's um, was encouraged to do competitions, so I done uh, Game Chef of the Year, um, which I won in I think it was two thousand sixteen, and then I done no two thousand can't remember two thousand fifteen maybe, and then I went on to do Scottish Chef of the Year, and I won that, and then I was approached by Great British Menu to go and do Great British Menu, and then done that two years running, and then. That took me to looking for more challenges within my career. I was always challenged when I was at Andrew Fields. I was challenged to do something, you know, something to keep me interested, something to challenge my ability, something to keep me keep me interested, to keep me learning, keep me going. And then it came to the point where I felt that I had done my time at Andrew Fairless and started looking for other ventures and was approached by the team at Kale Brook asking if I wanted to join their team and be their head chef um, and, you know, I decided to do that. And then this year, thankfully, after a very rough year, managed to win a Michelin star and that takes us to where we are now. It's, um, yeah, it's great. It's, uh, it sounds like a, a great journey you've been on. Um, sort of from the start, did you have like a family who sort of liked cooking? Like, were you from a kind of foodie family or was it just not really something that anyone was into? No, no one in my family can cook or does cook. And that's not saying... Well, I was brought up on beans and toast, you know, we got we got meals cooked for us, but no one's uh no one's a cook, no one's interested in it, no one's it's never been anything in my family, so I guess that's why I was never really interested in it until I was kind of put into it and started learning for myself. And if you wanted to do photography, you're obviously quite creative. And and at some point did those two things, like your creativity through photography and cooking, did they come together? Did you realise that it actually could be quite a creative profession? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you're plating up food, you know, you're looking at what's what's on the plate. You're almost you want it to look picture perfect. I mean, that's what you're aiming for. You're wanting something to taste fantastic. That's at the, at the end of the day, it must taste good. Because doesn't matter how good it looks, if it doesn't taste good, then there's no point in it. So, actually, being able to make things taste nice, but then have that artistic side of wanting things to look nice and knowing how to present things. Um, obviously came into play at some point. And what was it like winning the Great British Menu? I know that's due to be back on TV soon. Um, how, how do you think that changed your career if it, if it did? That was amazing. I think it, it changed my career in the fact that more people then, I guess, began to know who I was in the industry. So I think that obviously it definitely helps you get more get more out there within the industry. People see you, see what kind of food you do and they kind of, learn a little bit more about you and it just gets your name out there a little bit. I mean, there's lots of, you know, these things help propel chefs into other things. Like there's so many, when I was a young chef, there's so many great chefs that were on there. You had Marcus Waring, you know, Sat Baines, Tom Aitkins, all these amazingly great chefs who've achieved a lot in their career. 
So to be able to ask to go on it, you think, of course I'm going to go on it because I know of all these chefs. So, you know, obviously stands up in good stead if they can get to where they are from, you know, doing this program that maybe I can get to there as well. And it definitely helped get me um, a little bit more noticed, I'd say, but, you know, not in a not in a big-headed way, just in the fact that, you know, that's when people do start to approach you to say, would you like to be head chef here? Would you like to do this? Would you like to do that? It just helps you build up your portfolio. And obviously you're very well known now because you won the Michelin star for a Glasgow restaurant for the first time, I think since Gordon Ramsay's in 2014, I think he still had it then. Um, so how, how did how did that feel and, and how do you think that is going to change your career from this point? I mean, it's massive. I mean, as a, as a young chef, when I started, I mean, well, as soon as I started working at Andrew Fairley's, my goal was I'm going to be a chef to get a Michelin star in Scotland. That was my goal. Um, and to actually achieve that is is massive and it's really exciting. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that, I mean, it's definitely, it will definitely change my career. I've always, I've always worked a high standard because that's kind of how I've been brought up in the industry. You know, you take good produce and you do a little to it and you make it taste fantastic and your food will always speak for itself. But I think now there's going to be, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself anyway, type of person I am, I'm a bit of a perfectionist and want everything to be perfect all the time. So I think now with the Michelin star above my head, it gives me even more pressure to make sure that people are coming with that expectation. People aren't coming now just to a nice restaurant where you're cooking. They're coming to a one Michelin star restaurant. So you need to be able to excel those expectations. So we can no longer just think of ourselves as a, a one star restaurant. We need to think of ourselves as a one star restaurant and a quarter to make sure that we are exceeding those expectations and making sure people are coming and enjoying exactly what it is that they came to enjoy. Which I'm sure they will, because it's. Uh, I'm sure everybody can't wait to get out and eat, eat in restaurants again. It's been a bit of a weird year, especially this is your first head chef role and it's been in the middle of a pandemic. Has that been quite stressful and weird? <laughs> I only really had my head chef job for three months, three and a half months, and then we had to close down again. So it's like... I was just getting my team to that point where things are start. We're all starting to gel. We're all starting to understand how you know I'd like to work, and we're understanding each other and knowing how each other tick. Because you know, in my first head chef role, it's realised as a manager, everybody's got different personalities, and you have to deal with every single individual as an individual. It's not just a collective. So to then have to get to a point where I was finally getting there, and then have to close down is taking a big hit and it's not been great um but you know we're trying to keep everyone's momentum up and now that we're actually going to open up again it's it's amazing because you can start thinking about actually putting things on plates thinking about what this should look like what things are going to taste like and every single person in the restaurant is so energized by it and everybody's so excited to start cooking again that it's just it's um it's been a hard year but it's definitely coming to the light at the end of the tunnel where we're all we're going back into opening up with a Michelin star. So what more could you ask for? You work, obviously you've mentioned you worked with Andrew Fairley from quite a young age and you did some work with Gordon Ramsay. And in my mind, it's like Gordon Ramsay, crazy shouty, Andrew Fairley always seemed quite calm. Was it? Was that the, the real life experience of both? Well, I mean, when I was at Gordon Ramsay's, Gordon Ramsay was only there once. It was a busier kitchen. They were doing 150 covers a day and it was, there was lots of chefs and it was busy and it was a bit more boisterous, a bit more noisy, whereas Andrew Fairley's is like, when you're in service, it's like a ballet. It's very quiet, it's very organised, it's, it's very well disciplined, but it's done in a very structured manner that everything just, just you know, comes together so naturally. So they're both different, but 
the way that they work both works for that individual person. But I'd definitely taken more from Andrew Fairley than what I would have done Gordon Ramsay because I think that the way that Andrew Fairley worked and that taught me to work is the way that you want to be with people because I don't think you need to shout and scream people to get the best from them. There's a time and a place when something goes wrong. And yes, I'm sure you lose your temper, but you know, to get the best out of people, I think you need to treat them with a little bit of respect and a little bit with encouragement and coaching to then get the best out of them at the end of the day. Yeah, because I think um, sort of traditionally, a she- like a chef role is seen as quite masculine and it can be quite aggressive and shouty. And, you know, obviously that's not always the way it has to be, but would you have any advice for someone who's looking to get into the industry that might be kind of put off by that perception? Yeah, I think find the right coach, find the right head chef. You're going to go into places where they still have this, um, this is what they perceive and this is what they want to do. They want to be shouting, they want to scream, they want to do all this stuff. And that's just how some people like to work. But if you're someone who's who doesn't react well to that kind of confrontation, you need to find the correct head chef and the correct coach that's going to actually coach you through that. In my, in my opinion, it affects you a lot more to have someone who's quite calm and quite good with you to turn around and look you dead in the eye and tell you something very sharp that that's not correct and to really you feel that a lot more from someone that gives you a lot of the time of the day if someone shouts and all the time then you're gonna get immune to it eventually and just be like, you know what it doesn't even matter because that's just the way you are so i just i think that if someone young wants to come into it find the right head chef find the right coach and um your career will develop from there um, and did Andrew Fairley give you any sort of advice that you feel like has stood you in good stead? I mean, I know like the way that you've talked about the way that you worked, is, is that kind of the main thing you took away from it? Or is there anything else that you always kind of think back to, like, this is this is what I remember and this is what's really influenced me? I mean, what's influenced me is how to how to deal with people, you know, humanely and be nice. And that's the way to coach people and to, and to teach them. But I mean, it's just... The main things that I took away from Andrew Fairley's restaurant is organisation and discipline and timing. If you get those three things to in sync with each other, your your kitchen will always run smoothly. If you've got the right people in the right place and you tell them this is exactly how it does and you've worked a very tight timing system and everyone's disciplined, everyone's organised, there's nothing that can go wrong. You just need to, if you've got those things in place, it'll run smoothly. And that, that's kind of what I've taken away is, is massive. Like in Andrew Fairley's, we we're all like soldiers you know we are literally like your shoes are polished your your whites are ironed and you know you're, you're all really one one team and it's it is it, it flows so well and that's what I take with me is that's why I want my team to be we're all you know we're all aiming for the same thing at the end of the day um, and you obviously we talked about Michelin stars um how do you think the landscape of dining in Glasgow might change um if more are kind of given out because obviously this this is yours is the first one for quite a long time and there was a lot of discussion about why that hadn't happened and and glasgow does have you know fine dining restaurants it's just maybe not the same as say edinburgh but how do you foresee it um kind of changing as more stars are potentially given out i i personally think glasgow's got a really great food scene i think that it's all very um you know there's different like if you take like let's take Ox and Finch for an example and their other restaurant Kapal you know they're different restaurants but they're still very very good in in where they stand in food you know it's simple food done well I just if most stars are given out great it'll bring I think more tourism more people to Glasgow there'll be then more sales and hotels because people will find us more of a destination to come to but 
the food culture in Glasgow is great and I don't think that people should come just to eat Michelin-starred restaurants. Obviously, I want them to come and eat our restaurant, but come to us one night, eat in a Michelin-starred restaurant, then go down to Oxenfinch and taste some really good food that's a little bit different and a little bit, you know, a different way to eat it. Um, there's there's so much, so many great places in Glasgow. I just think that people, maybe now that there's going to be some more Michelin-stars, people will, will come to Glasgow more for the food scene and then they'll experience some other little places as well. Um, and obviously, as we said, you're opening up soon. So what can customers expect from your menu when you do open? We are planning on doing testing menu only once we reopen, but I don't think that'll be the case when we first open. I'm really not sure. We have to look at restrictions currently and when we are going to open up. And once we have a date of opening up and when we know how long people can eat in our restaurant for and, you know, the time scale of things, then we can decide exactly what our menus are going to be until that point. All I can say is it'll be great Scottish produce not to be cooked to the best of our ability. And it, um, there might be some little surprises in there as well. So part of so during the pandemic, um, you did your cook at home uh, boxes, which were sellout success. Did you enjoy that, or was that just one of those things that you felt like you were doing just to kind of keep keep ticking over? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I enjoyed it as such. I mean, it was good because I managed to keep my team together. I managed to keep everyone's mental health good. I managed to make sure we were all still you know, still there supporting each other. Um, and it was nice to just be able to touch some food um, at the end of the day. But I mean, I think it's there because it's one of those things that people wanted and it was good to be able to show people that we're still here, we're still alive, we're still cooking for you and we'll continue to do so until we can open up. So I think that it was necessary for us to do something like that so people can still see us there. And there was certain enjoyments, like we done a, a Michelin box just a few weeks ago or a kind of a more of a tasting menu box, which was really enjoyable because the guys got to, you know, play with some um, good ingredients. But, you know, there's there's a lot that comes into play of a cook in a box. It helps you think about things in a totally different way because you need to think, that, okay, it's a large volume of numbers, which is what we usually do. How can we make this simple for people to cook at home so it's not, you know, they think they're getting a great experience at home, but they're not having to do too much, so it's still relaxing time for them. So there's actually a lot of thought that goes into it. So that's actually made me open my eyes to other things that we might be able to do in the restaurant and stuff like that. So it has definitely been a worthwhile experience but I'd rather be putting food on plates than in boxes. Yeah, I've, I've heard that from a couple of chefs that I spoke to. Sick of the plastic boxes. <laughs> so obviously we you've mentioned um, seasonal Scottish produce, which I think people are getting more interested in like the provenance of things and like seasonality. So what advice would you give people um, about cooking seasonal Scottish produce at home? Like how do they know what's in season? Like how, you know, what would you recommend that they, where they shop, if it's not the supermarket? Like how, how could you try and like cook more seasonally at home basically? Yeah, if you well, if you go to anywhere that's like a green grocer's, I mean, there's roots and fruits in Glasgow, for example. If you were to go there, then what they've got in their shop will be seasonal because that's what they'll buy. So in the supermarket, obviously, you can get lots of stuff. But if you go to the an actual green grocer's, you're more likely to find or see what is a seasonal produce there because they're going to buy in exactly what is seasonal. And I think it's important to eat seasonal things because that's when they're at their best if you buy asparagus in december it's not going to taste nearly as good as what it tastes like just now me and my partner had asparagus last night and you know her first thing was like is this in season just now because it tastes great and i was like yes it is in season just now that's why it tastes the best you're going to get it jersey royals are coming into season just now which is you know i'm not a fan of potatoes but i'd eat jersey royals all day long because they taste like a potato they actually taste great 
So it's one of these things where if you buy seasonally, you're going to be able to taste the difference. And if you're unsure of what's seasonal, you know, go online, go BBC Good Food, search for seasonal produce, and you'll you'll get a list of things. I mean, I think seasonality is a main thing in spring and summer here. And, you know, just a late summer, because at springtime, you've got wild garlic, wild leeks, asparagus, all these sort of things. Then you come straight into your peas and your broad beans, and then you've got berries and all these sort of things. So everything kind of flows through summer seasonally, whereas winter, I think everyone wants heavier kind of foods anyway. But I think cabbage, I think cabbage is seen as being a kind of winteral food, but actually, you know, you get lots of nice spring cabbages out there and stuff like that as well. So I think it's about going to your local green grocers and speaking to them about what's what's best and what's in season just now and shopping with local fishmongers and local butchers and stuff like that is all very important as well because they actually, like a fishmonger will go out that day and they'll go to the boats and they get a fresh fish in their shelf that day. So why wouldn't you want to buy that? It's better than going to you know, a supermarket and buying something that's pre-packaged. You go to a fishmonger, you can see the fish, you can ask the ask the man behind the counter, what what fish do you think is great? Okay, we've got some halibut here, you should taste that, it's fantastic. Like, I think that's what it's all about. It's that interaction with um, with the food and with the supplier that's quite important. Uh, and if you weren't cooking sort of seasonal Scottish dishes, what cuisine would you cook? For example, like, could you, would you be interested in doing like Italian or anything like that? Yeah, well, I was just going to say Italian. <laughs> Working in an Italian restaurant, I think I have a soft spot for it in my heart. Like, I um, I love Italian produce and I love Italian food and all this sort of stuff, so that would probably be my go-to. And I got an uni oven not long ago, an uni pizza oven, so I'm having fun playing with that just now. Yeah, I've heard about them. Are they good? Fantastic. So you can use them for anything. Like, me and my partner made cookie dough in another night. Um, you can cook steaks or anything. I'm waiting for it to be a really nice day, like it is just now, and then make burgers and sausages in it and stuff like that and just see what it's like as a barbecue as well. They're they're fantastic. How do you think the perception people's perception of fine dining has changed over the years? I'd like to think that people know that it's not it's not snooty. I mean I think a lot of people think that fine dining you have to wear a a four piece suit and sit down and you know, be very, very formal. It's not formal. I mean, it's, at Kale Brook, we're very humble. We're very proud of what we do, but it's it's relaxed atmosphere. You come to enjoy great food and you don't have to be, like, it's nice to get dressed up and go up for something to eat. Like, obviously it is, but you shouldn't need to feel pressured or a bit like, or a bit like stressed out that, oh my God, there's a word on the menu that I, I don't understand. You know, you should feel free to ask that to someone. Like, we, I would call us like a, like fine dining they call it that or Michelin stars because we've earned these stuff. We love what we do and we try and put the best into what we do. And I think that maybe it's seen as being pretentious, but it, it's really not. It's just we're putting the best on the plate that we think and you should you should come and try it because it's it's one of them that it is relaxed. And trust me, you'll you'll enjoy the experience that you get. And if you don't, then we've not done our jobs correctly, which is what we're here to do. I am. Um, I do need to come and try it because you're literally about 20 minutes down the road from me. So I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> what are your plans for the future? You've had quite a lot obviously happen in the last few while. What, what do you what do you see your future being? To be honest, I just want to be open just now. I just want to be open running a Michelin starred restaurant I mean as I say we're not going to stay at one stars I'm not saying that we're going to get two stars next year I'm just saying we're going to keep progressing and we're going to keep trying to get better keep trying to be innovative and for me now like I've achieved what I always wanted to achieve so for me now genuinely it's about putting that onto my younger chefs and seeing them grow and watching them grow I've got two chefs that are about to compete in Scottish Chef of the Year next month and I really want them to do well in it I mean so I'm trying 
coach them through that, give them advice. And all I, all I can want now for going ahead is that my chefs go on and do some great things in their careers um and just to so the last couple of bits of the podcast are um kind of quick fire questions so the, the first one it's not really quick fire but um if you could invite three people to a dinner party whether they're dead or alive who would they be and why um okay andrew fairly because he's my mentor and i love him to bits claire smith because i think she's just amazing i think she's um really fantastic at what she does and probably marco pierre white because he's an absolute legend they're all chef but that's what it is and the, the last part is called my life in food so it's five quick fire questions if you just answer with the first thing that comes into your head if that's okay whenever i'm hungry i think of crisps comfort food for me is cheese toasty my favorite childhood dessert is jelly and ice cream my food heaven is god that's a difficult one food heaven well, i would say a sweet bread veal sweet bread and my food hell is fennel nice thank you very much I, I'm, I'm waiting for someone to say coriander because that's what i hate and that's kind of close <laughs> okay well thank you very much um i think that's probably everything but uh, thank you for your time sorry you're in your car when it's boiling um <laughs> and yeah well i'll be down and, and see you guys soon because i'm looking forward to it Perfect, no problem at all. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Lorna. That was a great chat. Sorry again for having to record in your car. I'm excited to go to Kilbrook and try her menu. It's also great to see Glasgow being recognised on the world stage. Thank you again for listening to this episode. As always, if you enjoyed it, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. Scran is a logical production that's co-produced by me, Rosalind Erskine, and produced, edited and mixed by Morvan McIntyre.